I have the feeling this man is gay. Menage a trois with Aboriginal bone magic, Kinski's brain-baking diet of peas, and meet the albino dynamo who can reduce Lance Henriksen to tears. All on this 34th midnight video with your hosts me, Jim Hall. And me, Phil Walsh. Tonight, Alan Bates yells so hard it makes John Hurt temporarily believe he's a cobbler. Julia Goings on in 1978 British killer, The Shout! You asked for him, so here's muddled, cacolded, cat-catching army barber Klaus Kinski in a Werner Herzog listeners vote winner, Wojcik. And will we join Mary Steenbergen and Jeff Goldblum in failing to know quite what to make of a living lightning conductor with genius IQ in 1995's Powder? Phil, once again, you've abandoned your wife and child and gone to the cinema this week. <laughs> I did for one viewing. I, w- I went twice. Um, once in the afternoon and saw Cabin in the Woods, and then the evening I managed to get a babysitter and I went with a stall to watch uh, Headhunters. Ad- not Adventures in Babysitting. No. <laughs> Cabin in the Woods, I've heard mixed stuff about that. Yeah. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I don't really like it. <laughs> At first, I enjoyed it as a film and thought it was... Uh, it was quite good fun well acted and they played around with um, the genre quite well I thought but mm. in retrospect and as time time's gone on it's quite tiresome really it's Re- something that I never while you were really watching it or were you thinking no about this it was after a lot a yeah. lot after after seeing so many people going completely the other way and like being bowled over by it um, I found that's really irked me because <laughs> it's right. not that that bigger deal yeah it sounds like maybe people's expectations were a bit too high yeah definitely well when you've got game changer plastered over all the buses that usually means nothing of the sort does it (laughs) no no I remember you saying that about uh, Kill List when we were at Fright Fest when the guy introducing it was uh, a truly original uh, British uh, genre movie that is a good film though it is a great film I'm not sure it changed any games no definitely not um, so that got you fired up for Josh Whedon's Avengers or Avengers Assemble as we call it in the UK yeah well I saw that did you see the trailer for it a while back I've you seen know, a few leaked. trailers for it yeah. oh, oh um, I've only seen one I think they've done two or three now yeah mm. yeah I'm kind of I'm looking forward to it it looks like a bit of fun yeah I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not hoping I'm not sort of expecting it to be knockout because nah. it won't be will it I don't hopefully it'll so. be fun have you read any reviews yet? No. Um, You've started? No, I've not. Um, no, I'm not going to. Actually, I was thinking of going to see Lockout. Yeah, that looks great. It looks a bit like something from the m- early 90s. Yes. Like yeah. Fortress or something. It looks like Oliver uh, Gruner should yes, be in it. Yeah. but with a bigger budget. Yeah. <laughs> but you've also seen... Headhunters. Yeah, which yeah. is the Yoines Bow. That's right. Which, uh, again, I've heard a few reviews on. I think is it Mark Wahlberg wants to remake it. <laughs> really? I think I'm get mixed up with something else. That I can imagine it's already been snapped up in the states. I think no, they watched the first thirty minutes of it, yeah. the uh, prospective buyers, yeah, and they were like sold on it. But they don't. I don't think they realise that the middle half of the film is like Calver. Do you remember Calver? <laughs> it's the ordeal. Yes, it's it's pretty much like that in the middle. Wow, it's fantastic. I was that's my film of the year so far by yeah. by a long by a long long way. 
Wow, it's good fun. Really good fun. Amazing the uh, black humor. You know, brilliantly <laughs> directed. Uh, breath of fresh air. And do you like Calvair? I don't mind it. I prefer Vignan. He's second. Right, one. I've not but seen do, that, I but I remember like seeing that. that. And um, yeah, it's quite. It's a bit League of Gentlemen, isn't it? It is. Yeah. 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 Oh, any case. We've got kind of three films about weirdos tonight. <laughs> oh yeah, we have. I yeah, no, really paying attention though. Yeah, God. Got, whilst you're watching the films, <laughs> nothing occurred to you. <laughs> anyway, shall I uh, meet our first inmate? That magician in the tailcoat gave me a terrible power over my enemies. He taught me the use of the terror shot. At a cricket match held on the grounds of a mental home, Tim Curry hears a bizarre yawn from Erudite co-scorekeeper Alan Bates in Jersey Skolimowski's weird thriller The Shout. Did Bates really murder his children while living in the outback, steal Susanna York away from avant-garde composer John Hurt, and learn how to kill using just the power of his voice? Okay, The Shout, a film which I thought would be better known. I mean, I'd, I only heard of it a few years back, and it's something, yeah, I'm surprised. It seems like the sort of thing that should have been on TV a lot when I was growing up, which is always a great... Uh, it's a, from a, that period, a, though, isn't it? Late seven, Mid to late 70s. And <clears throat> yeah, possibly mistakenly, I was thinking when I heard of it, I mean, that this setup of Alan Bates as a guy who can shout people to death. With his kind of vaguely mystical ability. Is that my old maths teacher? <laughs> it um, it made me think of the Medusa Touch, the Richard Burton movie. This isn't uh, anything like that, though, is it? Really, it's a. Um, it's not a Jack Goldsmith. Yeah. I mean, I think we both really like the Medusa Touch, don't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. As over the top as it is, but that's clearly meant to be this big supernatural thriller. This is something sort of much more low key and also just kind of bizarre, isn't it? Deliberately so. It's based on a um, story by Robert Graves, who's better known for writing I, Claudius. Um, and like we say in the introduction, that the framing device is uh, Tim Curry. I think the character's actually meant to be called Robert Graves, isn't he? Oh, right. Yeah. Ah, I didn't realize. Who's keeping score at a, um, a cricket match in a mental home, meets Alan Bates' character, or was first introduced, um, is, is sort of told about him by Robert Stevenson, a doctor there. Um, and it just sort of, uh, the whole idea is that Bates is telling this story. So it means that the narrative we're seeing with John Hurt and Susanna York as his wife, you're never quite sure what's actually meant to be happening in the context of the film and what's kind of an interpretation. And I saw this about a month back and watched it again last night um, in, in preparation for this show. And knowing that it, it plays a lot of strange games like that, and by the end, the end in particular is kind of a bit baffling. <laughs> Watching it a second time, I was thinking, ah, this will all become clear now. And I've got to say, I wasn't much more enlightened. However, I do think it's a really good film. Part of what's great about it is, I was reading some of the reviews of it, and there was a, there was a sense of, oh, for a horror film, it's not very gory. I'm not sure it's actually pitching itself as a horror film, or you know, marketing itself that way. Um, it's just like a weird chiller, isn't it? It's, yeah, uh, it's got more in... I'm not sure that's doing it justice, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird chiller. It's a weird chiller. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's more like something like Don't Look Now, like Nicholas Rowe thing. You know, it's um, there's a tone running through it which it lends itself to horror, but it, but it's not just an out and out horror film. You know, it's one of those that people are going to always argue over. Like, oh, yeah. oh, it's definitely a horror film. It's, it's so subjective anyway. The yeah. whole idea. Of what and I'm suspicious is. when people are arguing whether something should be. It's like the classic ones, The Wicker Man. It's mm. like. What's the problem if it is called a horror film? You know, yeah. it almost feels like. I mean, I have a bugbear with comics being called graphic novels because it mm. sounds like people are using a very fancy term as if they're embarrassed to be reading something yeah. called a comic. Whereas I think 
comics are comics, same as films are films, regardless of whether it's on the Silver Globe, for instance, <laughs> or, um, <laughs> yeah. or Adam Sandler. <laughs> you know, the, the, the medium doesn't really matter. You know? Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although Adam Sandler is remaking on the Silver Globe. So <laughs> <laughs> on the Sandler Globe. <laughs> Um, yeah, like I say, um, there's some argument about whether this is a horror film. There's some, I don't think disappointment with gore because I think people seem to think it still delivers. And I, you know, I, I feel this with quite a few films. The gore can be boring, and with this, it was really quite affecting because I suppose the main, the troubling thing in it is you've got the main character of John Hurt, who's an avant-garde composer. He seems to have a kind of. Um, what with the word the, the relationship with his wife Susanna York seems to have hit a bit of a, a comfortable rut they're childless they don't I mean he's he's having an affair with the coppola's wife John Hurt and when Alan Bates's character turns up who is clearly a lunatic from the offset I mean I think when he first turns up this is in the story that Bates is telling when he first turns up I think his introductory line is something about do you believe the soul can be fractured into pieces and can to sort of drift off into stones and trees in moments of uh, in, in moments of stress um, and yet John Hurt still invites him in for Sunday lunch <laughs> he's but yeah he's, he, I, I had the feeling though that he was under a kind of spell um, I thought Bates is a very he's a very odd character in this he's really strange but he's very big he kind of like he's almost like Heathcliff you know he casts a shadow like yeah, there's a stubble as well. Yeah, and he's got a big overcoat on, and but he's got this strange charisma, and it's like it's almost like it hypnotizes him because um, something happens which leads to hurt being uh, involved. He has to talk to him basically. Mm -hmm. He lets the air out of his tire of his bike. That's know. what his Aboriginal magic can do. <laughs> but yeah, then he starts talking about well. Ab I presume that's an Aboriginal thing, isn't it? Your soul going into different yeah. parts of uh, the environment when you die. Because um, Hurt's just been in church, hasn't he, playing the organ? Which is a really interesting scene because uh, John Hurt's running late for playing the organ and everyone's singing like a cappella in the church. And, and they then don't he need him. Yeah. Yes. But then, but He's the thing is though, yeah. yeah, but then when he starts playing, the music comes in. And everyone like gets lifted. The voices get louder and more poignant and stuff. And this is like, it's not exactly a theme, but it's it's something that I think Skolimowski really uses brilliantly. Is that the sound in this, um, as Jim said, with Hurt playing an avant-garde sort of composer, sound artist, the kind of person you read about in the Wire magazine. He, this is a great excuse for playing with that medium within the within the film, and obviously it's called the shout. You know, there's going to be this like audio side of it, which is really important. I, I guess he does get taken in a bit by him, and you do have to question it. But it's such a weird sort of setup anyway. The film that you, you, I found myself going along with it. Yeah. You get drawn into that regardless. Um, it's like reading a surreal novel or something. You don't, yeah. you don't really question exactly why is this happening. It's like, yeah. it's like how is this? Yeah, all well, those questions like, oh, they're taking this, they're accepting this bizarre story rather easily, aren't they? Mm. The fact that we know that what's being told is a story anyway. Yeah, something being related to Tim Curry's character. Um, yeah, it mean, means it doesn't have to really comply to all that stuff. Well, because it's actually sorry. Uh, it does remind me of when we reviewed the Dead Zone, and I mentioned that I'd watch a documentary about uh, 
Cronenberg talking about how as a filmmaker you know um, as a sorry as an audience when you're watching a film you're watching a particular universe you know you have to laws apply there that are quite different but if you become embroiled in it and mm-hmm. you're part of it and accept it then that's fine yeah. and I think this is done really well like unlike in the dead zone I think <laughs> let it go Skolimovsky manages to do that you do get drawn into it you know it's like looking I use a comparison of like Dali or Dicharico or one of the surrealists because you have this like there's a lot of sand and beach images mm-hmm. uh, which reminded me of that so y- you know the, there's something surreal as in like not quite reality about it all yeah because I mean th- there's a feeling throughout it that Bates might not even really exist or the character in the story of Bates because um, <laughs> there's a feeling great as John Hurt is like we say in this he's a fairly ineffectual fellow isn't he he's a very slight build everyone knows what he looks like it almost seemed like the church um, congregation could do without him yeah you know, no it's true yeah then like I say there's a rut with his wife Susanna York um, they're childless I'm not sure if they I don't think they specify who's um, on whose side this is or whether it's a decision that one of them's made but it's almost like Bates is kind of an aspect of his conscience or something his guilt yeah. or you know a, a somewhat greater like you say he's a, such an imposing character they're such complete chalk and cheese physically the fact that Hurt's character works in sound and for Bates that's his big threat that's the thing that is actually because um, yeah uh, Hurt experiences this shout but with wisely with his ears plugged up but he, mm. he knows it's for real um, and very quickly Alan Bates I mean Susanna York doesn't get a lot to do here I'm afraid she gets she very quickly goes from being intimidated by Alan Bates to kind of not even having a fling with him. I think she just sort of falls under his spell totally and is kind Absolutely, of used by him. Yeah. I'm not sure her character minds this too much. It's she reminds me dicey. of one of like Richard Burton's flings because it, when you read in like uh, Bragg's uh, yeah. biography, like that's kind of effect that he had on women. Certainly, that reading from those notes and the stuff. Like, mm-hmm. It does seem that, yeah, she becomes absolutely infatuated yeah. like that. <laughs> Later on the show, one of our listeners, Michael Little, we got a, a letter by him which we're going to be reading out. He was very keen on, uh, he was talking about soundtracks. We, we don't mention that bit, but one of the films by coincidence he mentions is this one, The Shout. Um, the soundtrack to this is by Tony Banks of Genesis. Not Jeff Banks of Debenhams not Jeff the fashion Banks. show. No, <laughs> which I thought, like, as soon as I saw the name, I was like... I just had that image of that guy in my head who looks a bit like um, John Tarode from MasterChef. I don't know if you have ever. He's kind of a Lionel Blairish character. It's it's a bit uh, peculiar. Um, Yeah, I mean, the odd thing with this soundtrack, uh, there's there's one main piece, um, which I, as a a bit of a prog rocker dinosaur, I I recognise this. It was a piece. um, It's like the opening track on Tony Banks' first solo album. So it's kind of weird to then watch this film and see it. It wasn't just that they lifted that and put it on because there are several different um, arrangements of it through the film. It's not a typical, even though I say it isn't a horror film, but this is it's not a typical kind of piece of music you'd imagine would go with a film like this. No. Um, does that work for you? Yeah, it did. I mean, overall, I, I found the sound design more interesting than the soundtrack. I did like the soundtrack. I mean washy sort of synths and stuff it's always going to be a winner for me mm. but once I'd 
once you um, you the audience is showing this scene of uh, Hertz in his studio experimenting with like marbles and water and mm. brushing his dog with a microphone and he's got like all this amazing he's got like a, a big vocoder he's got all the analog equipment I thought did you see him on Britain's Got Talent the other week <laughs> yeah yeah that was like a bit of a like a portal for me into like how the how it was going to play out and it really did like I mean into the, the hurt locker yeah <laughs> your puns man your puns um, as things started developing after that the, there was a definite um, a directorial decision to play on sound mm-hmm. as, as I mentioned you know like the whole idea of like the shout anyway you know it's, it's very much a, a sonic audio ex- experience and um, this carries on throughout and the music was much more incidental for me than the actual attention to how yeah. how the sound should be sounded a lot of the time that theme's mixed down a bit isn't it yeah, in fact, when yeah. it's in the opening that was this sort of dreamlike shot of this figure presumably Bates going across the beach with dissolves the music's kind of drowned out by the sound of the wind and stuff, isn't it? Well, it's not. It's not. That's the other thing, though, because you it's have these. It's, it's an Aboriginal yeah, dude, the, isn't with it? <laughs> with a bone, yeah. a boner. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that really all. I, I am really keen to read the short story because it put me in mind very much of um, the driver's seat or identical, which we reviewed a few shows back. Again, which. I think this is a lot better though better film definitely but I do want to go back to the source novel because you know you think of uh, Muriel Sparks Robert Graves I mean Mm. these are like big literature people and for them to come up with these kind of ideas is is perfectly acceptable reasonable and plausible but when you get a director's vision as like what Kubrick did with King for example in The Shining you know that it's interesting and intriguing to know where the changes come in and how how things are adapted and you know altered and I'd I'd love to see how much is different from the, I, I can't imagine Robert Graves' mind <laughs> not that I mean I know I Claudius but it's a very very odd film this yeah. the story the the notions of it all I can only imagine that it's it's been changed a lot yeah. or it's a sort of a, a very different thing for him. So you're not expecting the Robert Graves story to have Jim Broadbent <laughs> um, slosh, slosh, sloshing around in a cow pack during a cricket match. <laughs> no. And saying, shit. Never know it could be in there. Get out of here, Anthony. Or I'll shout your bloody ears off. Okay, time for the results of uh, John Carpenter listeners' vote. Woohoo. How did this one go? This... Uh, the, People were getting eager to start voting, weren't they? I think as soon as the last show went up, we yeah, were starting to get a few. Was it Anthony, Anthony yeah. Nesbitt, and yeah. Phil were straight in on the uh, yes. on Facebook? Um, they like preempted us because we usually would put a little. Uh, we'll start a thread, won't we? Um, but yeah, they, they were right in there, which although, is really good. Although there does seem to be um, a split between people who are quite enthused about John Carpenter and others who are going out of the way to say that they're not very keen on him and consider no. him a hack. That's Joe Scaramanga or Ben Allen. Allen, (laughs) But uh, I think once again, this is one when there was a kind of a clear leader to begin with, and then other stuff came up at the last minute. Yeah, it's great. I I do love watching it sort of unfold. uh, Well, you start G'ing people on, don't you? I like to to play the. Vote or such and such will become the winner. (laughs) 
Right. Anyway, do you want um, to kick off? Yeah, there's a yep. few to read out. Um, thanks to everyone who um, wrote in, yep. and I'll start with some of the emails we got. Um, so, Rich Wells, hi, Rich, and I apologise profusely for not reading out your uh, Werner Herzog suggestion. Casper Hauser. Casper Hauser. But it wouldn't have made any difference. So. Well, it was included in the vote. <laughs> it was included. It was included yeah. in the vote. So Rich says, how about Big Trouble in Little China? I've not seen it since I was little and want to know if it's worth revisiting. Yes, it is. It is, it's always. Uh, Sasha Eichholz, apologies if I've pronounced your name incorrectly. My vote goes to Dark Star, with The Fog as a very close second. Parts of that film I take as completely serious, others I find absolutely hilarious. Back in the VHS days, I used to show this to all my friends and their moms. Curious. and everyone seemed to get the humour which baffles me to this day because most of those people would have called Eddie Murphy their favourite actor it's very silly and very deep at the same time something very few films achieve very although true. I did um, <laughs> I, I shot off an email to Sasha and said Eddie Murphy Dark Star what's it called Meet Dave what's the one when Eddie Murphy's a spaceship with lots of little Pluto Nash is it no 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 no. that's much earlier isn't it it's oh, quite it? recent this one. oh okay no I don't know let's not cover that okay <laughs> Uh, Anthony Nesbitt, my carpenter vote. Seeing as our escape from New York is probably going to walk it, I'll vote for Christine. One from his 1974 to 1987 winning streak. If Escape from LA picks up any votes, I'll be amazed. Carpenter lost it after Prince of Darkness. He's never been the same. <laughs> and in direct response to that, Phil McGrain with Escape from LA. I like to think that never happened. Bruce Campbell and a CGI arc. A CGI CGI arc. <laughs> a CGI shark. Oof! <laughs> Actually, reading that back, was Phil voting He's for Escape voting. from LA, or is he just having a little reverie there? Yeah. I like to think it never happened. <laughs> and to this could affect the voting. There. This could be what leads to a, a coalition <laughs> winner. Lyndon, go on then. I'll vote for Escape from LA. <laughs> I remember it being mercilessly slated when it came out, but I really enjoyed it. Though it was thought it was good cheesy fun. It's also remarkably prophetic about George Bush's presidency, i.e. his liking for dumping legal non-persons on islands where they can be conveniently forgotten about. Even the rogue daughter echoes W's domestic troubles. Having appointed myself devil's advocate for escape from LA, surely their live has got to be worth a shout-off from someone. Mm, possibly. We'll see. Yeah. Ross Giles, so many great Carpenter films to choose from. His episode of Masters of Horror, Cigarette Burns, is an intense and brilliant work, but ultimately I have to go with Escape from New York, as it's been a favourite of mine for many years and has an amazing cast. Special mention to Big Trouble in Little China, though. Oof, Escape from New York. Yeah. Borg 9, Stanton. It's, it's a quarker. Yeah. But I do like Cigarette Burns. That's the, I oh. think that's the only one of the Masters of Horror that I've watched, actually. The only one I've seen is the Argento one, Jennifer, oh, right. which is uh, diabolic. <laughs> Eric Nystrom, Village of the Damned. Too little is said about that one, and it's got both Superman and Luke Skywalker in the cast. <laughs> I'd be keen to see that. Yeah, I'd love to see it. There's, there's got to say, there's a lot of stuff after around Prince of Darkness that I've not seen. It's no. probably only two or three of them I've seen, so uh, okay. who knows? Who knows what the winner will be? Maybe I'll uh, get to see something I've not seen before. Hans Olo Johansson, but there's so many to choose from. This <laughs> seems to be a running theme. Being somewhat of a carpenter apologist, I wouldn't mind either Vampires, <laughs> which has been rendered with the dollar sign, <laughs> lovely, 
or Ghosts of Mars. Yay! As I'm not ashamed to say, I quite like those. But having to choose just one, I'll have to go with In the Mouth of Madness too. Probably one of the better films influenced by H.P. Lovecraft's works. And there's a smidge of The King in there too. There's a smidge of Darth Marenghi. A bit of Hudson. (laughs) Marie Hepworth. In the Mouth of Madness. One of the very few films to make a half-decent attempt at Lovecraft-type stuff. Uh, Recurring theme. David Hall. Memoirs of an Invisible Man. A true oddity in the canon. Yeah, not seen. I didn't even know. I went to see that at the pictures. Oh wow. Yeah. Twenty years ago, pretty much. Is that when it came out? Yeah, I think it was like summer '92-ish. No, '93. That's totally or was it 92? I can't remember. Mm. Yeah, 92. Uh, Mark Blumfield, they live, get a shouts from me. Yay. Richard Sampson, hi Rich. I'm going to say Prince of Darkness because I've not seen it and I want to know what you guys make of it. Thanks for that. <laughs> but definitely second the votes for They Live and Vampires Love, both of those. I saw Vampires at the cinema when it came out. Hey, this isn't a contest. <laughs> I forgot it quite quickly, I have to be honest. Let's hope uh, that doesn't win then. <laughs> Cole Staines, The Fog for me. I couldn't get enough of it as a kid. <laughs> Dale Rontree, Christine, it's my favourite Carpenter film after Halloween and very overlooked. Uh, Jack McEnroy, I'm not a Carpenter fan, but I'll go for Assault on Precinct 13 just to see if the ice cream van scene gets the trademark Jim Hall snigger. Uh, <laughs> I hate my trademark snigger. It's the worst <laughs> bit of listening back to the shows. <laughs> Uh, oh sorry <laughs> Mark Harrell my carpenter choice has to be Prince of Darkness love the grainy video footage uh, footage contrasted with film stock and Stuart Boy it would be nice to hear Prince of Darkness reviewed it doesn't quite work but it has great ideas Mickey Moo in the mouth of madness probably or with AV voting Prince of Darkness can you see leaders emerging I can I can this isn't everyone's vote though obviously this no is, there this are is, others where there's, many more. there's, there's a selection with, uh, yeah with little tails attached <laughs> and finally uh, Chris Salt that Elvis one with Kurt as the king <laughs> Escape from Graceland <laughs> yes. so thanks to everybody who voted yeah I'm sorry we didn't read every single one out but you know yeah. there's, there's limits to how much you guys have probably listened Good. to Put up with, yeah, you can almost stop fast forwarding through this bit now <laughs> so the winners in joint third Darkstar, yep. Christine, mm. The Fog, and Escape from New York. Joint second. Big Trouble in Little China and Prince of Darkness. Which means there can only be one. In with a bullet at number one. In the mouth of madness. Thank God for that. With old uh, Jurgen and O'Neill. I've got all this to look forward to. Um, <laughs> you haven't seen it? I have not seen it, no. Lyndon's brother, Cam, um, I know he voted for In the Mouth of Madness. Um, he's been telling me for years, whenever I mention it, he just shakes his head and goes, oh, you've got to see it. You've got to see it. Because we're both Carpenter, uh, I don't know about fans. We, we kind of enjoy it for yeah. possibly the wrong reasons sometimes. <laughs> but So I'm not sure if this is a genuinely good film or uh, who knows. But. During the week, because Prince of Darkness looks like it might have been the winner. Yeah, which I haven't seen. Um, I'm not a fan of that. So I was very pleased Mouth of Madness um, <laughs> went through in the end. So, yeah. Next. I was, uh, were you not surprised that nobody voted for Halloween? 
Mm, maybe not. I was glad. I was glad. <laughs> but I mean, I'd have been happy to review it if uh, that mm. had been the case. Um, one I, th I thought They Live was going to get a lot more. I thought that was a real popular one. Yeah, I guess it's um, the ones that have like in the top three though are all. Um, I'd imagine there would have been the apart from Christine actually. I got a bit more. That's um, what's his face, isn't it? He's in that uh, from Static. Oh, Keith. Keith Gordon, Gordon and Alexandra yeah. Thingy from Baywatch. O'Neill, no. no. Alexander O'Neill, I was thinking. <laughs> Alexander O'Neill. <laughs> you look great in red light. Yeah. yeah. No, Paul, yeah, Alexander that's right. Alexander Paul, yeah. yeah. So, the Carpenter winner has been announced, but next time we'll want your votes for a film directed by... Um, he's not convicted, but... <laughs> We, we we don't we don't have a platform for paedophiles on this show, Phil. No, we don't. Uh, Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski. Um, not vetoing anything. No, I'm happy to cover everything. I think all the preparation that goes into this. Yeah, show. no, I'm just thinking because yeah, no, I, I going just off what people voted for yeah. Carpenter and all of the others. I'm, I'm more than happy to yeah. go with what the voice of the nations. <laughs> the nations. <laughs> So yeah, we'll give you a reminder on Facebook and Twitter. But yeah, your votes please for Roman Polanski. Five days after filming Wrapped on Nosferatu, director Werner Herzog carried on and knocked out his version of George Bruckner's incomplete play, Wojciech. Klaus Kinski stars as the titular troubled soldier, earning a little extra cash by becoming a guinea pig for crackpot experiments. These and a pileup of other stresses leave him less than capable when he suspects wife Marie, played by Eva Mathis, has taken a lover. I finally get the P references now <laughs> that happened in, uh, in the last show. I think, it, who was it? Who? It was Marnie. Oh, right. I just, yeah, I couldn't see how peas were going to fit into this film at all. And yet, they're, uh, they're a subtext to the entire work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Herzog listeners vote winner. Yeah. And you hadn't Thanks, seen this guys. before. I hadn't seen it, no. Um, like many Herzogs, I've seen quite a few, but there's lots of blips on my uh, on my radar when it comes to Herzog. You shouldn't eat peas all the time, then. <laughs> I love peas. I love petit pois. <laughs> Um, like uh, North Sea Hydra. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, great choice. 80 minutes. I always like films that are uh, under the 90 minute mark. So I watched it for breakfast this morning. Wow, you had Kinski for breakfast? Yeah, with my Alpen and uh, my Jasmine green tea. <laughs> <laughs> no peas, I'm afraid. Uh, is this the best thing to wake up to on a Saturday morning? No. <laughs> I can say that. Um, I really enjoyed it, but yeah, it was quite a, a stunner at like half seven in the morning with uh, a little boy running around the place, peeing all over the places. I'm trying to toilet train him at the moment, but he doesn't really like the toilet. Kinski has that effect on people. <laughs> Actually, yeah, he's like a little Kinski, come to think of it. Does, he throws crazy tantrums. He'd probably scare off a, a DOP. I didn't realise this was made in such a short space of time after, and you can see why why he did it. I mean, he totally ex Herzog exploited Kinski, something rotten, to get him yeah. in this kind of frame of mind or frame of character, I guess. Because um, it, it's all Kinski, this film, really. Uh, even though, sorry, <laughs> even though um, Eva Mattis won, I think she won the Best Actress at Cannes that year for this performance best looking woman <laughs> she's very pretty yes yeah Kinski's just 
uh, mesmerizing in this. He's so gaunt and world weary or everything weary really pee weary <laughs> um, pee weary Herman <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let you have a, a little uh, right I had aside. seen this I had seen this but about mm, 10 years ago or more um, it is a good film I do really like it however it's one of those things in comparison to the other Herzog movies and even though he has, he's done a few which I'm not so keen on there's particularly that bunch of films he did <laughs> a bunch of films he did with Kinski which are all absolutely fantastic aren't they Aguirre, Fitzcarraldo, uh, you've not seen Cobra Verde have I you? haven't no, no. and I was watching this last night and thinking with those other films I've gone back to them and watched them again a few times this I remember liking but I haven't been back to revisit it, if anything the memory of a lot of it is My Best Fiend, the um, mm. Herzog's documentary on Kinski which I've watched a lot so Specific scenes from him at the opening, that slightly Benny Hill kind of undercranked when he's marching along and being made to do push ups and just talk about method acting. <laughs> you can tell he's really going through the mill, isn't it? But, but yeah, it's speeded up filming, he's huffing and puffing with this quite kind of incompetent sounding music, which is really good. It's mm. really great music, but it just seems mocking. There's that, and there's a couple of specific scenes in it which I know from that documentary, but I've not gone back to it since, which. I was watching this thinking it just seems it's a great film in its own right but it seems slight next to those other ones and I think it's kind of the the theme of those others uh, Aguirre, Fitzcarraldo, Cobra Verde they're all on a really big scale they're epic films uh, and the character in those the characters in those that Kinski is playing are so off the scale and you know, there's, there's that kind of rubbernecking amusement of seeing Kinski going out of control even though his performance in here is absolutely fantastic it's kind of this hasn't this hasn't grabbed me as much. It's it's like it suffers in comparison to those other ones. It is, like I say, though, a really good film. It just seems like kind of minor compared to them, though. Right, yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, but for me, like, first viewing, I found a lot of a lot of things interesting about it. Um, yeah, like we say, it's been adapted from the stage. and An incomplete play. An incomplete play yeah. as well. Um, and it's it's been done numerous times as an opera as, um, uh, and as a film as another film I think there was another tw- film another two yeah. I think yeah there's like a Slovakian one maybe and an English language one and carry on Wojcik <laughs> <laughs> but I did find it interesting because usually films suffer you know there's the age old thing isn't it about it's too stagey or whatever but I think Herzog actually revels in this for a change because his films are usually quite um, they're kind of dynamic in in the sense that they're not like anything else and you don't know what you're going to get from them so this this sort of steps back a bit and goes into a sort of more traditional sort of style of filmmaking so there's a lot of static shots and there's only a small number of scenes throughout the film. Yeah, which you probably is quite read odd. that as well. I, mean, mm. I think there were, yeah, a lot of them were sort of complete takes, lengthy scenes done in. Just yeah, complete takes weren't they? the whole thing was done in about eighteen days. That's right. Yeah, but yeah, to, so for someone of Herzog's caliber to do something like that to be restrained like that, I, I find that really interesting, and yeah, that I mean. Wojciech, I don't really know, I didn't know the story beforehand, but it's a bit like Job or something from the, the Old Testament, I mean this poor guy is just he's just done in on all sides and it's quite telling at the beginning when yeah, you, 
you were saying is like Benny Hill, he's just being put through his paces. <laughs> but you have this shot where he um, he's like he's basically getting mug shots. So mm-hmm. you see him from the front, then from the sides, and I think that it's almost like oh my god, he's like a prisoner. And then it, the camera comes back, and it's like he's in a firing squad, like he's going to be shot because he's just against that um, the boards behind him. And he's been yeah put through his paces by. I wonder if that was Herzog wearing the boot, just pushing <laughs> him back down when he's trying to do the press. He's probably the caterer from Fitzcarraldo. Yeah, probably, so <laughs> getting one in early. But yeah, it just. I mean, from the outset, you know, this you really <laughs> you just feel your my heart went out to him because he's beset on all sides. Yeah, I mean, the the story's a great one. Um, Voice X, a very simple guy. Um, He's got no money, so he's put himself forward for these experiments. I think he genuinely loves his wife, and then, but he can't really. I'm going to say sexually perform. He's just he's off he's off the <laughs> he's off the handle, isn't he? Mm. Um, a problem with this is Kinski's performance is so good, and obviously he brings a lot of luggage or baggage to the um, to the role. It's difficult to see him as a simple guy. You always, in fact, most of the time I was watching this and thinking, I bet once. Herzog called cut hints because uh, Kinski's getting pushed around a lot in this, isn't he? L- yeah, by loads. the rest of the village, um, by his superiors and other people. Uh, you know, no one's got any time for him. He's getting it from all sides. You can imagine when Herzog called cut, Kinski was like going bananas at everybody. Yeah, Unless he was the, just so fatigued, he just collapsed. I don't but know, there is that scene, isn't there, towards the end where he's um, in a is in a bar and. Um, uh, people are questioning him about something that's happened and mm-hmm. they're all crowded around him and he's losing the plot basically yeah. but there is that there's a depth like you say it's quite interesting that you picked up on that there's there seems to be an almost genuine fear of those people surrounding like yeah and it's like is it are they worried about the character or is that it probably is they are actually scared of Kinski he's just gonna like bottle them or something <laughs> absolutely no that would make a very if he'd done an on-set diary like Roger Moore had oh, for wow. Live and Let Die that would be uh, uh, something yeah. in fact I've not because it's been a while since I've read Kinski Uncut yeah I only read that you lent it to me yeah, a couple of years yeah. ago I'm not, I'm not sure if he's because this is my memory of it is he doesn't talk about the films that much does he it's more about he just talks about how much money he got from them and what, <laughs> yes. what cunt of a director he was yes. with <laughs> <laughs> or, or which actress he groped well there's plenty of that going on here isn't there <laughs> yeah <laughs> there is yeah <laughs> yeah because at one point um, yeah I suppose the crux of the movie here is um, Wojcik's wife Marie goes off and has a bit of a fling with a handsome drum major although he's like a lion yeah <laughs> well that was a thing with this you, you, you say that I did have com- again compare. I, I know it's a bit cruel of me to compare it to these other uh, Tarkinsky movies with this, I found it quite difficult to really get into the nuts and bolts of the plot because it's subtitles, which isn't usually a problem for me at all. But with this, and I guess because the central character is so, you know, so out to lunch, I found it quite difficult to actually get into what was going on here. I was reading these subtitles and finding I wasn't really getting anywhere with them. They oh, were just okay. quite peculiar little pronouncements. Right, yeah. Uh, from him, from or I've just mostly from him, but from some of the other characters as well. I mean, a, a main thing here, I guess, is um, as terrible as Voizik's situation is. There's his army captain, who's this quite fat guy, isn't he? Fat mm. bald guy who um, who Voizik is uh, shaving oh, and always Christ. and taking loads of crap from him, isn't he? Saying, "Oh, you, you yeah. say such amusing things because you're an idiot." So yeah. <laughs> um, 
and yet there's a point when that character, the captain, is talking to the local, the doctor who's actually um, carrying out these experiments on Voysek and saying, oh, I, I get so melancholy, doctor, I can't look at my coat on a hook <laughs> without, like, feeling despair. And it's like trying to make... When, that, when this guy says something, people might pay attention, but with Voysek, no one gives a damn. Mm. Even though f- it's, it's clear from the way he's acting that he's uh, not got it. I, f- I often find when stuff's adapted from the... A particularly, um, it's not highbrow, but like intelligent plays, basically, where you, you know you've got to really make the effort. I often don't try to dwell too much on on the dialogue, really. Which I don't know is. Have you ever read like just um, the text? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's so odd to read it like that. It's a bit because you want to differentiate the characters. Yeah. Really. Um, but it's all. But with this, it, it's. There's a kind of ambiguity with the language that goes through all the characters. It, it, it's like everyone feels like one voice, really. Yeah, because well, that was the thing for me. Everyone seemed to be talking in the judging from the subtitles. Everyone seemed to be talking in the same strange terms. Mm. Everyone seemed to be talking about strange little visions they were having. Yeah, so you've yeah. got Voizik, the captain, and the doctor himself is clearly not the ticket, is he? No, God, no. Yeah, he's absolutely off his face <laughs> um, so yeah I mean that yeah that was something that kind of I, I again I, I did I do think this is a good film but I wouldn't be rushing back to watch it in the way that I would with I wouldn't be rushing ones. back to watch that shaving scene oh, <laughs> yeah, that really will. put me on edge so that, because the thing well, is with Voicek he's yeah he's absolutely fatigued in that but like anyone who who's ever been really tired or stuff, you get bursts of energy like mm, this yeah. sort of like potential energy that you've got and He's, he's shaving his captain, and it's just oh. Because again, you can imagine that wasn't done with uh, much rehearsals and no and stuff. That's probably a real. So he's going over to the leather strap and sharpening <laughs> it as fast as possible, and then he's he's brushing the uh, he's lathering him up, and it, oh, it's it really. I kept thinking like it's going to cut him. It's going to cut him. Cause I think yeah, there's maybe a couple of cuts in that, but mm. edits you yeah. mean rather than yeah, yes, not, yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I really, yeah, it was it was amazing because then the, the sort of last fifteen minutes of the, well, ten minutes of the film is there's a lot of slow motion, you know. Yeah, there's a key scene which, even though I think a lot of people know the film, I don't want to discuss. But that no. was brilliantly done. And again, yeah, I think people will know the scene. Um, given Kinski's famously quite an out of control guy, there were specific edits in there to make it look realistic mm. and yeah you're just amazed that he managed to hit his marks as it were or whatever the equivalent was in this yeah but no i uh, the ending's great you know yeah no I, th- I think maybe i enjoyed it a bit more than you probably because it was like the first first viewing for me so it's um, it's always special to watch a film for the first time and especially a herzog you know i mean i really need to dig deep into those anchor bay uh, boxes that i've got but i'm really glad that people people chose this yeah no, definitely thanks for thanks for everyone who voted so which is next on your list Cobra Verde or not necessarily a Kinski Strotsek well yeah because yeah. Bruno S was you probably read was originally considered for this role oh um, right is he is in the Enigma of Casper Hauser he is Casper well, Hauser yeah. and I think by all accounts he was this is, I'm getting his real biography mixed up with who he plays I think he was a little bit like Casper Hauser I think he was raised in a brothel or something he was a piano player in a brothel but he had kind that's of Richard a, Pryor is <laughs> he, had, um, <laughs> he did have quite an odd background and I think there is Richard Pryor. I remember when the NFT as it was then did their uh, Herzog series there was I think there was a German TV 
documentary from the time Stroizic was made and it looked like Herzog was getting at the end of his tether after working with Kinski was at his end of his tether with Bruno S because they just couldn't get it he didn't understand this things like this sounds familiar yeah and he'd just wander across roads and keep yeah. going and things <laughs> and uh, yeah no Stroizic give it a give it a whiz definitely yeah I will Michael Little time. Thanks, Michael Little. We've not heard from you in a little while. No, he's been moving house, I think mm-hmm. you mentioned. Um, yeah, so it was great. I, I thought we might have offended him deeply at some point on the show. And maybe we have. <laughs> maybe we have this time. Um, no, Michael sent us a very generous letter. It's, it's nice to get generous feedback in and, you know, the great as it is getting people voting on Twitter and stuff. It's nice to have a, a big substantial letter, which is so long, I'm afraid we have had to cut about half of it out. So, yeah, apologies for that. Okay, you guys really got your hands on an obscure one this time with Small Creeps Day. It sounds absolutely fantastic and I'd never heard of it, so I tried looking it up online and came up against a total brick wall. It's not on IMDb, Caragaga, Cinemageddon, or any of the other obscure cinephile sites that that usually never fail. Wikipedia has a small entry about the novel, but doesn't mention the film version. I really want to see this. Now then... Is it time to come clean? <laughs> it is time to come clean. Uh, yeah, our apologies. Um, yeah, Small Creeps Day, which we covered either two or three shows back, depending on whether 33, the show 32 yeah. we covered it on, um, doesn't actually exist. It, it was The show was released on the weekend of April the 1st. And this was a wretched attempt <laughs> at uh, pulling the wool <laughs> over your eyes, I'm afraid. Yeah, it was our uh, not not failed April Fool, but as as Jim made a good point, yeah. you know, the, the kind of films we cover anyway are quite obscure. The idea of Graham Chapman in a what was it Dutch or German TV production of this uh, didn't sound too wide of the mark for <laughs> some of the other stuff we did. So <laughs> Douglas um, Adams scripted. It can happen. <laughs> it, it can, can happen. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Michael, don't, don't feel alone because we know several other people have sounded very enthused about this, uh, and someone actually fell for it, even though I told them before we did the review that it was going to be an April Fool. <laughs> <laughs> no names. No Marnie. No. Um, <laughs> so yeah, apologies for that, but it is a real book, Small Creeps Day, and I would recommend that to anybody who, if if you're intrigued by a review, I mean, we all of the plot details. We're in that novel. Which Everything's is, um, there. Yeah. You enjoyed the book? I loved it, yeah. yeah I thought it was fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. So, carrying on. Um, Michael says, I'm also a Rutger Hauer completist as well. I just watched Philip Morris' sci-fi space miners 90s video gem, Precious, Precious Find, the other day, and it was great. Hauer's autobiography is All Those Moments is a really fun read as well. Philip Morris did uh, Mad Dog Morgan oh, right. with Dennis Hopper. Which I've yet to see. Yeah, no, it's fun. Oh, that's that's ace. That is such a good film. Do you like uh, sci-fi space minor in nineties video gems though? Because <laughs> having done Kinski, this was an eighties one. I think Titan Find might be. A oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And I just just occurred to me. <laughs> um, I haven't seen Lemonade Joe yet, but I do have a copy in my to watch pile, along with a stack of those wild post Czech new wave widescreen comedies of the sixties and seventies that an internet friend turned me on to. Specifically, the comedies of if, excuse my pronunciation. Aldrich Lipsky, Vaclav Volicek, and Milos Makurek or Maturek. 
I don't know. <laughs> there has to be a name for this genre because there are so many of those crazy things and all with amazingly wild plots and titles like I Killed Einstein, Gentlemen. Tomorrow I'll wake up and scold myself with tea. Long live ghosts. How to drown Dr. M or the end of water spirits in Bohemia. <laughs> you are a widow, sir. Adele hasn't had her dinner yet. Four murders are enough, darling. The mysterious castle in the Carpathians. Who wants to kill Jesse? Etc. And people think the Giallo films have good titles. Like, Which they are, are after that, small, small Creeps Day doesn't sound so uh, <laughs> Adele hasn't had her dinner yet. Yeah. <laughs> I think my favourite has to be You Are a Widow, Sir. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like an Oscar Wilde quote or something. <laughs> Also, it was cool to hear you discuss Chronopolis. That's one I need to go back and watch again. I must admit that I was kind of disappointed and underwhelmed the first time I saw it several years ago. I was expecting a lot from it, though. I had read tantalising descriptions of its fantastic-sounding, abstract metaphysical plot involving astronauts in a city at the end of time, and got hold of Luke Ferrari's abstract electronic soundtrack, which is exactly the kind of music I'm really into both of which had my mind reeling at the potential of the movie itself. When I finally saw it, it was much more vague and bland than I was expecting, just cutouts dancing around with shapes for most of the time. I didn't think the animation was anything special at all, really. I feel like there are probably equivalent or better short pieces in early experimental Sesame Street segments, interludes that taught shapes and colours, and I'm not knocking early experimental Sesame Street. On the contrary, that's some of my favourite kind of stuff. I'll have to give Chronopolis another watch at some time. I really want to like it because the concept and soundtrack appeal to me so much. Um, I find that fascinating. Like, cutouts dancing around with shapes for most of that. We spent quite a bit of time talking about how amazed we were by the, uh, <laughs> the animation. Different strokes for different folks. I know, but I, I know no, exactly I, what it means with the Sesame Street stuff as well. I mean, I was blown away yeah, by that. Going I, back to I, stuff Yeah, like I heard something interesting the other day. There was a documentary on... Um, using music for torture in Guantanamo Bay and things <laughs> okay. like this and they were coming up with specific ones a lot of it was um, very aggressive music but one of them they the only guy who well not the only guy one of the guys who'd spoken out against it was the composer of the Sesame Street theme tune because they heard that they'd used a lot of those oh. a lot of his stuff there and I think he'd actually got a campaign to sort of not, not have it used so I don't know if it was meant to be in, in Fanta music to torture by yeah, <laughs> yeah. god Three of these kids are doing the same thing. Three of these kids are kind of the same. <laughs> Do you remember nice that? No, I don't, yeah. Oh, they'd, always, they'd split the screen into four and have three mm. doing the same. Like, three dancing and one will be fast asleep. And you have to spot which one was mm. was not like the other kids. Well, Michael, I, th I think you'll... Uh, I think you might you might enjoy it a bit more. Yeah, time. but, you know, if you don't like it, tell us about what it. What are we going to do now? Finally, from my half of this letter, and speaking of electronic soundtracks, have you guys seen the trailer for Beyond the Black Rainbow? It looks like an amazing achievement to, you, to me. I'm totally jealous, and it's one of the most anticipated films of this year or any year. I hadn't heard of this till I read Michael's letter, but I checked out the trailer, which is on YouTube, because it's, it's been around for a little while, hasn't it? I think it's sort of having trouble picking up distributors. Yeah, yeah. But no, I've not heard of it, but the trailer looks really great. Yeah, it looks awesome. Um... Adam, our friend Adam Lowe's of the show. Uh, it kind of looks like a weird experiment type of thing, but it's specifically well, set in 1983. It put me in mind of things like Videodrome and Brainstorm. Yeah. And well, a lot of people, when Kubrick they saw the that. yeah saw the trailer, said it's a bit like Amer, you know, the colours and stuff. But I just thought, yeah, I thought like it's... I, the first thing I thought was, like, oh, Gaspar Noe is doing his Kubrick tribute. 
very much felt like a sort of like Enter the Void or, uh, but in that sort of Kubrick Space nineteen ninety nine um, yeah, aesthetic it's got a lot of that design. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing that very soon. Yeah, very soon. Can't yeah. wait. And I'm going to carry on with some of Michael's letter because it sort of pertains to uh, one of my reviews from oh, the last show. Yes. <laughs> So Michael carries on, and I'll probably regret saying this at some point, but am I the only person out there who is still undecided and ambivalent towards Cronenberg? I mean, I continually want to like his stuff because the mood I can speculate that he's aiming for and the metaphysical themes and material he chooses to deal with are all the way up my alley. But besides his taste in the material he chooses to adapt or work with, I don't really see anything exceptional about his style. Kiyoshi Kurosawa regularly achieves for me a level of style and mood that I always want to find in Cronenberg and a level that I suspect others might find in him but which I only see existing to a superficial degree. I just watched The Dead Zone for the first time a few weeks ago and while I love Sheen and Walken and the moody existential metaphysical possibilities such a concept might engender it was fairly unremarkable and by the end pretty lame. The opening title sequence was probably the best part of the film, aside from the sequence in the killer's house and Walken's angry monologue, and while it had some atmosphere and potential going for it for a little while, the end was downright laughable. I suppose some of this might be Stephen King's fault, but if Cronenberg was really good, he should have been able to mine King for the story setup and other ideas, and then take those concepts further in scope, depth and mood, both in cinematic and intellectual terms. Kubrick did it. Anyways, I mean, I love Videodrome and Naked Lunch, of course, but Naked Lunch is mainly a Burroughs cheat. To me, Dead Ringers is okay, but fairly fairly dull despite its best efforts not to be. Seeker as I was Doppelganger 2003 instead. History of Violence is a stale exercise. Spider is banal, and they came from within is okay for what it is. For me, Existence, which is sloppy, rough around the edges, and fairly pedestrianly directed, but ultimately a decent, entertaining metaphysical metaphysical sci-fi B-movie typifies what Cronenberg really is a B-movie director in A-list auteur's clothing to be fair though I haven't seen The Brood Scanners, Crash, Eastern Promises A Dangerous Method or Reappraise the Fly yet maybe I just haven't seen enough but does anybody out there share any of my doubts all I ever hear for Cronenberg is unanimous unmitigated praise I must say that I was excited to hear that Cronenberg or anybody for that matter was going to adapt Jonathan Lethem Lethems or Lethems as she climbed across the table, but that project doesn't seem to be going anywhere now. Ooh, that's taken some of the heat off you. It has, thankfully. Cronenberg's <laughs> um, latest one, uh, is it Cosmopolis? The Don Delilah? Cron- no, Cron- yes, Cos- Cosmopolis. The Don Delilah yeah. one, I think um, there's another trailer for that that's just come out recently. Not, I think that looks quite in interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. I, d- I don't I I like Cronenberg. I don't like the Dead Zone. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we you should do a review of it at some point. <laughs> Man, no. But, uh, thanks very much for that, Michael. Apologies again for Small Creeps Day. Yeah, we and to anyone else who has <laughs> listened to us for the last year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that that's more than albino, Doug. That is spooky. I never thought we'd find a man too white for you there, Harley. Poor old Jeremy Reed. His mother was killed by lightning while still pregnant, and as any biology student can tell you, this leads to children being born ghostly white, hairless, super intelligent, and telekinetic. In 1995's heartwarmingly 
highly controversial movie Powder, Mary Steenburgen discovers the abandoned boy in his grandfather's cellar and concludes that absolutely nothing can go wrong if she introduces the odd-looking recluse to a normal high school environment in an inward-looking rural township. We've been doing these shows for a year now, and in all that time you've been very positive about films with two notable exceptions. One of them was The Dead Zone, (laughs) in which an outsider with a supernatural gift uh, comes to some rural little township, and the other was Jonathan Livingston Siegel, which was full of loads of hokey philosophy. (laughs) If Jeff Goldblum put both of those films into a telepod... This is what would shuffle out. Yeah, definitely. I was watching this yesterday and thinking, I, I really want to know what you think about this film because it was it <laughs> well, it was my choice. Although you had mentioned it with some enthusiasm, yeah, in the past for reasons we will come on to in a moment. <laughs> but yeah, um, in a nutshell, I'm going to say this is dreadful, but it's, it's not dreadful enough. I I had hopes for it being really really terrible. <laughs> How did you find it's this? Terrible. Yeah, um, I'd seen it when it first came out. All right. Um, I'd read about it in a magazine in whenever it came out uh, on video over here. I was in the army at the time, and I remember going to <laughs> rent it out. Did you get a beasting <laughs> afterwards? Or whatever it's called. <laughs> Although, like all my mates, like I mean, up until that point, because we were all still under eighteen then, so but we could. St- get 18s out of the video shop so I got this back and uh, everyone was quite nonplussed by it really I didn't mind it too much at the time I probably was trying to be uh, trying to be a bit different and <laughs> that's what the arm is all about isn't it? Au contraire yeah, yeah. Um, making yourself out to be a sensitive soul <laughs> but then watching it again uh, is it yet? yesterday I watched it last night the memory's fading already. Yeah, I had to watch it in like three or four goes Ooh. because I was getting so bored by it. <laughs> um, it it's cliche ridden. It's full of performances from actors and actresses who I have liked in the past. Mary Steenburgen's always annoyed me for her. Uh, is she just about to break out into tears voice? Is she married to Ted Danson? I think she is now. She was with Malcolm McDowell for quite a while. Okay, um, right. And then yeah, it was, and then we've got Lance Henriksen who, you know, he bellows a couple of times in this and he's got a great bellow. That's one good thing about John Woo when he directed him in Hard Target, he really got his like voice to come out. <laughs> but in this he have gets a, close original to, magic. Yeah. <laughs> Give this shout. Terror shout. Um but in this, he gets close to it and then doesn't, and just balls like a little baby. Goldblum. Goldblum. Goldblum he, looks like he's waiting for the next Jurassic Park because he's doing that, yeah, that same performance. Exactly. When he the just same. puts the emphasis deliberately puts the emphasis on the wrong word, and and reaches around uh, uh, for the right word, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, which I don't mind too much, but yeah, it was just needlessly kooky, I, I guess. Um, I like that. I've just realised he should have played um, Allen Ginsberg in the film, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think he would have been. It's not too late. No. Uh, But was your heart warmed by this? No, it wasn't at all. It's not a heartwarming story. (laughs) It's a Codswallop. It's Young Indiana Jones as well, isn't it? Sean Patrick Flannery. Oh, yes, I should mention that now. (laughs) Do you remember when we reviewed Dead Zone? I said that the TV. The TV series yeah. based on it had David Patrick Kelly as mm. um, as as Greg Stilson, the evil senator. I got my three named Patricks confused. <laughs> it's actually 
this guy. Oh, it's Sean Pat- um, yeah. Patrick. Sean Patrick. Sean <laughs> Patrick Moa Kennedy. Flannery. Yes. It's uh, <laughs> what's his name? Sean, Sean Patrick, Patrick Flannery. Flannery. He <laughs> played Senator Greg Stilson in the in right. the TV Dead Zone. You can imagine when I read Maybe it. Maybe Patrick Kelly would have been much better. That's it. It should be like one of those psychology tests when I see if you can read a word even if numerals are making up some of the letters. <laughs> I saw the Patrick, and having just watched Martin Sheen, I was actually thinking, oh yes, it'll be David Patrick Kelly, wouldn't it? He'd yeah. be the right kind of age then, and. Now in my mind, I'm imagining Sean Patrick Flannery playing Greg Greg Stilson, but completely hairless, <laughs> and covered in white makeup. <laughs> um, right, we've been babbling for a while. <laughs> still not really discussed the film itself, have we? There's not it's, much uh, to discuss. Well, I was watching. Like I said, it did remind me. It was funny after watching Dead Zone and having this because it does have. <laughs> it must be a weird subgenre of. Um, Actually, I'm going to go further. You know how Alan Moore did League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and got all these figures from Victorian literature together? Maybe we could do one when all of the characters who are outsiders who have to be tolerated and persecuted (laughs) in a little rural township. So if we had a team with uh, Walken from Dead Zone with with his clairvoyant powers, maybe John Travolta in Phenomena. Wow. And... Powder with his ability to stick spoons at people's backsides. <laughs> Actually, that doesn't happen. But I was really hoping it was going yeah, to. Yeah, you were point. very influenced. Well, this is it's it, yeah. It's a it's a film as you say, full of cliches. Even though there probably aren't that many, but you've probably seen this thing on, on like ropey TV shows and stuff. It's like the sort of thing. Actually, it's kind of like if you took what would be a three-minute origin of one of the X-Men in a film, but <laughs> yeah. span it out to a like hour, an and, hour and a half, fifty minutes, a two-episode story on Highway to Heaven. <laughs> Do you remember that with yeah. Michael Landon? Just, Jesus Christ! Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> with no umph to it. So yeah, basically, his mother's killed by lightning. His dad rejects him immediately, which is a great scene because he's sitting there. my son. <laughs> it's before that. The dad's look. He's obviously like a, a real bruiser, isn't he? His dad. He's sitting there. The doctor comes out. And says, "Oh, you know, I'm afraid your wife didn't make it." He goes, "What about the baby?" It's the sort of thing you would say. But he said, "He's an albino." He said, "Does that mean his eyes are going to be sensitive?" It's like, he's, he's got over his wife dying immediately. He wants to get into yeah. the specifics of how this guy's eyes are going to work. Um, wonderful sort of better. And yeah, you know everything that happens from that. Like you say, Mary Steenburgen discovers uh, powder. Um, he's got like a photographic memory. Is clearly someone with special gifts. So she sticks him into a high school. He gets bullied immediately. There is this wonderful scene where uh, the bullies threaten to stick a spoon up his ass. Well, he's either got to wear it on his nose, which can be tricky. It it's nose, tricky if yeah. you've got no hair. <laughs> But yeah, that that scene comes to a conclusion. But yes, he has sort of uh, magnetic powers and electrical powers. I was hoping he was going to stick the cutlery up the bully's ass, though. Not in revenge, but just I thought, because one of the reasons this film is notable is it's directed (laughs) by Victor Saliva. (laughs) Victor Salvo, is it? Victor Salvo, yeah. Um, Who people might know. When this film came out, because it was financed with mouse money, wasn't it? It's a Disney... uh, Is it Buena Vista or Touchstone? Yeah. there was some controversy that a convicted child molester had been hired to do this uh, this this film. Yeah, because he film. did Funhouse, where Clown House was it Clown House? Yeah. All oh, right. 
Or he may have, have an alternate fun house. <laughs> Noel's house party. <laughs> he was Mr. Blobby. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was on there. He actually like he videoed himself. <laughs> he videoed himself being filleted by the twelve-year-old star, which we're not, we're not, we're not laughing at. But it's difficult to not watch this film without thinking, "My God." I d- um, there are some moments well, particularly when, uh, <laughs> when this finally came out in Britain not that I was waiting for it but I think it did come out in Britain a few years later you say you saw it in oh I saw it like 96 97 right. I think it might have been like 97 because uh, yeah, okay. it came out in 95 but I seem to remember it coming out sometime later mm. in Britain after Phenomena which is like pretty similar as a setup. Yeah, I've not seen it but looking at the trailer similar time it was definitely of, yeah, a similar that time. was the time of inexplicable happenings <laughs> Um, I remember it being reviewed on Barry Norman's show at the time and in fairness to the film the weirdness of Powder's appearance kind of works in the context of it you get used to it but when you're just watching clips on a review show and you're thinking who's this guy and it's quite obvious the message is going to be you know don't treat outsiders different everyone's you know we're all the same and then when they reveal oh the director was in a controversy for molesting a child you think Oh my God! There's going to be a very clear message going through this, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, and there is. Like, but it's amazing that I mean, the, there's some some blatantly uh, homoerotic under and overtones, in and out tones. <laughs> it's strange to have that back, that sort of knowledge about the yeah. film, and then watching it in that context. This is kind of why I say it's dreadful, but not dreadful enough, because there was a real curiosity about was this going to be a really blatantly done piece of paedophilic apology um, mm. it's it's not quite as dreadful as that though is it, it's actually just kind of boring I was kind of egging this on, I was, I was hoping this was going to be something really mis- misjudged and in the end like I say I think it's just quite dull um, in fairness what is it, you said you had to have three goes to get through it whereas I, I did manage to get through it in one go but that was because I was, I, I was hoping it was going to get worse whereas you probably have the knowledge that it just yeah, stayed no, quite wretched yeah I knew where it was going because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got to say it was all building up to this finale because there's, there's a point when the film's not engaging you not just this film there's lots of films there's a point then when you just think how are they going to wrap this up and you do think you know how are they going to wrap this up and I was I was really hoping because his, his origins are left a bit ambiguous aren't they he's struck by lightning but quite why that would cause all this to happen it seems like he's here for a purpose uh, one of his powers we haven't mentioned is he's got the green mile thing of he can kind of absorb, he can sort of transfer emotions between people, can't he? You know, he's an empath. He's an empath. Mm-hmm. I was hoping the end might reveal something of his origins, and I was really, really praying for a flying saucer to land, <laughs> or maybe even an angel to come down and take him to heaven. But it's not far off in some ways. In you, the end, you it's do just get like to his origin. Uh, <laughs> well, the end's just like well, we can't think of anything else to do with him. Yeah, which I just had that feeling throughout the whole film. Though, like, there's there's certain situations that are all set up to be fulfilled, which you know, a film's got to do that. But they're just so patently obvious from whenever you see a new character, you yeah. think, oh right, so that's gonna that's be the bully. That's, that's the like, oh. that's the romantic interest, which strangely isn't consummated. 
and without being too oh, cool the, to the it actress, kind of is though, isn't it? Well, in a weird there's a transference way. of yeah, something, not <laughs> of, not of the obvious, <laughs> not of liquids. Yeah. <laughs> Although his girlfriend, presumably she's meant to, is she one of the high school students? Isn't she? Apparently, she yeah. looks like Belinda well, Carlisle's mom. Yeah, yeah. She, all, all the students really look old, well in they? their thirties. Yeah, they? yeah. <laughs> the thing we haven't mentioned is Victor Salvo went on to do Jeepers Creepers. Yeah, which I've seen. Yeah. Uh, you a fan? Uh, not really, no. Mm, I remember the first one's kind of. I remember watching the first one, thinking it was okay, up until the revelation of what the Is monster it was. Francis Ford Coppola presents. Uh, Coppola's something to do with Victor yeah. Salvo. I think he kept him going when he was Game being kind of blacklisted. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But I was so pleased looking at um, his filmography. I think his most recent film is like the the Pedo Warrior, the peace <laughs> pe- the peaceful warrior. <laughs> Pedo Warriors. <laughs> Not the pedo warrior, <laughs> uh, but one of his one of his earlier ones is called uh, Nature of the Beast. Although it was retitled Hatchet Man here, <laughs> and it stars I've seen this. Oh, it stars wow. Eric Roberts and Lance Henriksen. Wow, he's he's buddies with and him, it's wow, <laughs> and I would recommend watching it. It's absolutely awful. I can't really discuss it too much though because the terrible thing with the film is it's all built around a twist, which is so obvious. What it's going to be because of the whole setup of the film, and when it's announced, there's just an amazing line of dialogue by one of the characters. But uh, no, check that out. It's probably very easy to get hold of. I don't know what kind of job we've done in reviewing this for. Um, probably more than anyone else has bothered. Yeah. Actually, again, I was looking around the internet. It does seem to have a kind of fairly, uh, you know. Did you read any of the IMDb reviews? I'm not sure I did. I think it's more Rotten Tomatoes, but it does sound like there are a fair few people who find this an inspirational tale. And there's someone on IMDb who claims this is um, Uncle Ernie. This is the second best film they've seen. The reason it's seconded is because their first favourite film is The Boondock Saints, <laughs> which has Sean Patrick Flannery in it as well. Wow, who was the, who was the poster? David Patrick Kelly. <laughs> Lightning comes down. I can feel it wanting to come to me. Grandma said it was God. She said the white fire was God. So that's it for this show. Yeah, 34 was that? Yeah. You remember? 34, yeah. No, I really enjoyed doing the other one where we didn't do any films. Not that I haven't enjoyed wow. this, but um, you didn't insult me on this. You're telling <laughs> us to abandon the whole format. No, no, I would, I wouldn't dream of that. Um, no, we have had some feedback with people who have sort of rediscovered War of the Worlds. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, which is kind of why we wanted to yeah. do it a bit. Didn't we? We've even had someone who's rediscovered Roger Moore's Onset Diary, as many people should do. Yeah, or discover it even. Unearth it. Um, anyway that's it from us for this time um, like we say very keen to hear back from you on anything at all if you want to have a go small. at us <laughs> have a go at us for the small creeps day um, <laughs> we'd like your votes on Polanski I mean tr- I'm, I'm, it's another one that I, it could go in all directions well, let's not mention the films we thought were going to become popular because we might influence the voting but yeah we'll put up a little um, message on Facebook and Twitter about that but if you want to get in touch with us email is midnightvideo at hotmail.co.uk follow us on twitter at midnightvideo go to our website which is midnight-video.com where uh, we'll be getting some bits and pieces up there some oh, material yeah. 
just reminding me I need to do some stuff for that. Uh, I'll be okay. <laughs> I'll get on the case. Yeah. Get on the case. And Facebook. Facebook, of course, yeah. Which yeah, you're you're still happy with Zuckerberg's wibbly wobbly timeline. It doesn't because yeah, I have three other pages that I, right. that I do my mixes stuff and then there's another thing that I do with some mates, so I'm used to it now, yeah. We are off now to watch the divide. Is that, I don't know if it's Gens or Jen, um, French director who did Frontier. He uh, did this post-apocalyptic sort of end of the world film with Michael Bean and Rosanna Arquette. But yeah, I won tickets for it. So some freebies. You didn't win a free copy of Powder. <laughs> I won a gram of or Powder. Man. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh god. I've, I am going to watch Hatchet Man now. I really want to know the dialogue, oh. the line. I have told it you in the past, but uh, is it Henriksen? I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. Okay, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs> Au revoir. Bye bye. ask me how I pronounce my name, Goldblum or Goldblum. Uh, I always tell them the same thing, how dare you speak to me.